Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Hallelujah. I hadn't really intended to do this on Sunday. Uh, we're just going to minister that uh, uh, message you know, on Sunday morning. I thought that would be the end of it, but the Lord's kind of stirred me up along that line uh, uh, more this week. And so I want to continue on uh, with some of the things that I was talking about on Sunday. I didn't really get uh, to go as far as I wanted to. I kind of, kind of uh, summarized you know, some, some, uh, some points at the end, but I want to go in and give a little more detail to that. So uh, just give me just a minute to uh, uh, recap you know, the basics in case you were serving in another place Sunday morning you didn't hear this I talked about uh, the question are you a believer or are you brethren and uh, I pointed out to start with that the New Testament uh, and this was something I did not understand this came as a real surprise to me when I was uh, uh, had been pastoring actually this church several years it was in the uh, late 80s early 90s somewhere around then uh, I, I began to see, well, I, was, I guess it was the late 80s. I began to see, get some insight into the fact that God recognizes local churches. Now, you have to understand what I mean by that. I, it wasn't that I thought God wasn't aware, uh, but the illustration I use is I know God in his uh, omniscience knows everything. I, I know he knows how much ink is left in my ballpoint pen at any given time. He could give you the molecular structure of it and the volume and the weight and everything. I mean, I understand that. God knows everything. But I don't think he's particularly focused on my ballpoint pen. And, um, and in that sense, I knew that God was aware of the local church and what was going on, that he was moving among us and so forth. But as far as our local individual church having a, an identity or a status before him as the distinct body that he recognized, uh, that was not very real to me. I was reading over in the 6th, I remember when it happened, I was reading in the 16th chapter of Romans where there at the end of that, uh, of that epistle, Paul starts uh, giving greetings, you know, to different people. And he greeted uh, 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 Priscilla and Aquila and the church that's in their house and the churches of Asia uh, to the Romans, the churches of Asia greet you and, and so forth and this church and that church. And it suddenly dawned on me that, that you know, sometimes we read these epistles and they sound like, uh, it's a letter, a personal letter written from one person to another. And that was true. Paul did write these as personal letters. But the Bible tells us that, that he wrote as he was moved on by the Holy Spirit. These were God-breathed, God-inspired uh, things that he, that he wrote. And so when he greeted the church and was familiar with the church and greeted the church in, in Ephesus or the church in Rome or the church in Priscilla's house or the church in someone else's house, uh, he was aware of those individual churches. Well, the Holy Spirit is very much aware of individual churches. Then it, then it just sort of became very real to me that my church has a distinct identity and that uh, my, my, this church, is God recognizes this church distinctly or, or in distinction from another church. He, he recognizes both churches and he is... He is aware of what goes on in, in each local church. And he has a plan for each local church. That's something I really didn't see except in a general sense, that God has a plan for all of our lives. That was, real, that was very real to me. I had been, when I got back in a fellowship with the Lord, that was a, a common thing back in the 70s. You heard, you know, God loves you and has a plan for your life, you know. And so that was very real to me, and I was all about pursuing the plan of God for my life. And even as a young pastor, I was teaching the church, you know, God has a plan for your life as individuals. You need to pursue that plan. It just wasn't as real to me as it. I'm not saying that I, that I didn't see it at all, but it just wasn't very distinct or very real to me that God had a, has a plan for every local church. And there's a calling upon every, every local church. And he intends for uh, that church to to follow that plan and that vision that he gives it and fulfill that vision and, uh, and that he calls 
a church family together for that purpose. And, uh, uh, and so that, became, that, that was a real uh, eye-opener to me. And then uh, sometime after that, Shekinah Glory was ministering for us, one of those early times they came. And uh, Lois Toucher made a statement. She said that in the New Testament, the local church is, uh, uh, there are more references to the local church than there are to the universal church by a, a, basically a four-to-one ratio. She said it was 90 to 20. Uh, uh, 90 references to the local church as opposed to 20 references to the universal church. A total of 110 references to the church. When I go through the scriptures, I see 109 references. One of those, I don't think Jesus was talking about the actual New Testament church, but that's a, that's a matter of opinion. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, that ratio is consistent. And then I read other commentators that aren't, you know, word of faith or, or uh, uh, people that we're necessarily familiar with, uh, uh, Professor Emeritus of the, uh, the Nazarene Theological uh, uh, College. You know, he made in his, I have one of his uh, sets of, uh, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> Commentary, and he made that statement. And then I found another commentary that made the same statement. And uh, that, that was really a shock to me that in the New Testament, God talks most often about the universal church. I mean, the, the local church. I was thinking that God was focused on the universal church more than anything else. And that the, that the local church was more of, uh, of a, an organization of practicality to kind of facilitate what God... I saw, excuse me, <coughs> excuse me, I saw God as being very interested in the individual and uh, his plan and developing that individual to fulfill his, his call on their lives. And also God saw God as being very focused on the plan of the universal church worldwide, you know, to, to, to mobilize and reach the world. I saw the local church more in the role of facilitating that larger and that smaller goal. In other words, the local church was put here to enable the universal church to, to reach the world and, and also to train local Christians, you know, individual believers to fulfill God's plan for their life. So I saw a big plan and a little plan and the church, the local church was basically the instrument to help those two things come to pass. I never really saw that God had a plan for the local church. And then when, when uh, Ray uh, or, or uh, Lois Toucher made that statement, it, it, it was just amazing. I you know, immediately went out and searched the scriptures and found out it was absolutely true. Uh, by four to one ratio, if you look at every time you can do this, you go through the New Testament, every time you see the word church. Now, there are other references to the church where the word church isn't used. But when you see the word church, there are six times that word in the older King James didn't refer to the New Testament church. It just re referred to an assembly. But those other 109 times, uh, that word church refers to the New Testament church. But if you look at the context, he's actually talking about the local church. And, uh, and that was just a, a big surprise to me. Uh, I saw, like I said, I saw God more interested in the universal church than the local church and that we were just a little part of this big picture. But when you go through the New Testament, you see the big picture is the local church. I said the big picture is the local church. That's what he's focused on. Now, that doesn't do away with the truth of the universal church. The universal church is found in, in the New Testament. There are references to it. And that's a very wonderful uh, reality, the, the, uh, the universal fellowship of all believers. And, uh, and that was very real to me, particularly when I got back in the fellowship of the Lord, the charismatic revival was really going, you know, full steam and, uh, it's in, in Christian bookstores sprang up. I lived in Jacksonville at the time and Christian bookstores were springing up all over town in every section of town. There were these charismatic uh, bookstores that opened up and they were sort of like a social hub. Where, you know, you could always go to one of the uh, charismatic bookstores and you would meet, 
you know, uh, Christians on fire, just full of fire and full of the love of God and very vocal about their faith. And, you, and it was, like I said, you, you could get this uplifting fellowship from members of Catholic, anyway, there were Catholics and there were Baptists and there were uh, Presbyterians and, and Episcopals and, and, and uh, Methodists and just all these different groups. It made me very aware of this universal fellowship of all believers and it was very exciting. And uh, then I would return to my local church and it was like, well, you know, it's just, you know, it's just us. And uh, there, were, there were a number of things that contributed to that. There is, of necessity, there's a lot of natural things that go on in a local church. You know, like I said, Sunday, attending church is a very social activity. You know, you come in, you see people, and you greet them, and it just, that, that human uh, relationship and interaction with people, it's very social. And uh, most of us love to get to church to see our church friends and our church family. And, and, uh, uh, and that's very uplifting and, and, and encouraging. But then there's, there's, that's very natural. If you're not careful, you only see the natural side of it. Seeing, only seeing the natural side of church is what is responsible for people not being uh, real faithful in attendance because they only see church as a natural gathering. And yeah, God's in it, but they don't see it as a spiritual body that God has called together. So they could just go and do other things. You know, if they don't make it to church on Sunday, it's okay, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. And it's very easy for other things in life. There are a lot of things that come up, a lot of things vying for our time. And it's not any worse now than it used to be uh, because, you know, we still have, we have the same kind of lives and we have the same uh, 24 hours in a day. Uh, so it's always been, there's always been things, you know, pulling you this way or that way. But when you relate to the church and you see that, that God is actually calling us to come together, you might not have really thought about that coming to church tonight. You just kind of gotten, you know, in, the, in your routine. It's Wednesday and a certain time of the day you, you know, shut certain things down and start getting ready for church. And there's all that natural activity involved in getting ready for church. You let, wait, ladies have to spend several hours getting your makeup on, you know, fixing your hair. And, and uh, you know, you got to get the kids together and feed them and, and get them dressed and their little ones, you can't get their feet into that dumb little shoe because they got their toes all curled up and you, you want to throttle them, you know. And, you, and, and there's just a lot of things. You have to get gas in the car and you have to do this and, you know, put a Pop-Tart on the table or something for dinner, you know. And, and, uh, uh, and there's a lot involved naturally to, to make it to church. And then when you get here, if you're serving in, in a place of ministry, there's just, there's natural preparation and things you have to do. And when class is over, you got to take the garbage out and you have to clean your room up and there's just natural things. So there's a, there's a real natural component to church. And then it's not just attending church and serving in church that's natural. I saw the leadership in church as being very natural. I came from a denominational background and about every four years we would change pastors now, over time, because I had been going to the same church since I was a little boy when I was, my family was attending a church when I was born, and that church when I was 14, that church uh, split, and the church that I then, uh, my family moved to uh, was out of this first church, so the people were all the same people. And the pastor, that pastor that the church at the time of the split, he went and, and, and help start the new church and the denomination sent another pastor to the, to the, to the church where, where we were attending that my grandparents were uh, instrumental in starting. But it was all the same people. But when pastors, I saw, I guess when I was uh, young, I remember one, two, three, four pastors by the time I was 14 years old. And, and then that pastor went with us to the new church and then I backslid and was out of church. You know, when I came back to church, he was still there. And he stayed there a little longer. And then he left and another pastor came in. And I noticed this. And even after that time, after I was pastoring for several years, I saw that churches, there was all this turnover. 
And our church churches were a lot like this church. We had a lot of people that had been coming to, to that church for many, many years. Like I was telling somebody this week, we're in our third generation in this church. That's a wonderful thing, you know. And, 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 and my home church back then was that way. But then there was also a lot of turnover, a lot of people coming and a lot of people going, and we still see that. Over time, if you looked at our, at our stack of membership cards, you, you go through them and, the, you know, the, the, the uh, uh, former members, you know, uh, inactive members, and you almost like, oh, man, I almost hadn't thought about that person in years. I, you know, we enjoyed so much good fellowship with them. So there was all this turnover. But then leadership was always changing. And it seemed like when a new pastor came in, after four years or so, you get a new pastor, you'd have another shift in the dynamics of the church because the pastor would come in, he'd bring in his own leadership style and his own way of doing things and things he emphasized. And it just seemed to me that the church was always in a, 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 a transition. There was just, it just seemed transient, that there was just ebb and flow. And there was, you know, if you, if you left a church for a few years like I did when I was backslidden, you know, and, and then come, come back. It's like it was a completely different church. It was the same church, but it was like a completely different church. New people in charge of ministries because when one pastor would go, you know, the another, next pastor would come and they didn't want him to come. They didn't vote for him and so they won't want to serve anymore and they leave and go somewhere else and then some other people get raised up. And so there was all this natural stuff going on. And, uh, and so that, that contributed to my narrow-mindedness, my short-sightedness, you know, where the church is concerned. But then when I saw that God raises up local churches, that he's responsible for it. Now, I'm telling you, there are a lot of churches that he's not in. I'm telling you, I've, I've been around a long time, and I know this. This is, I'm, I'm way off my subject, but it's related, but uh, I know this. I've been around long enough to know that when people start a new church, you hear about people starting churches, you know, new churches being formed, you know, you see it, they put their sign out, you know. Almost always people claim divine authorization. We've been, this is God has led us to start this new church. Almost all, I would say always. I don't think anybody starts a church and says, I know God isn't in this, but we're going to start a church. <laughs> so everybody claims that God's in it. But when you drill down below the surface just a little bit, you find a lot of really unsanctified motives and agendas, and you got people mad, and they couldn't get along, and they, you know, pulled out and started a church. I mean, you think about that. I, I think about a, a, a scenario where you've got a good church that God raised up, and then a group of people, for whatever reason, get mad or get dissatisfied, and, and, and they pull out. And, and start another church like the one that, that I was in when I was 14. The difference there is the pastor left and started the other church because and there were some things involved there, so it wasn't typical. But in a typical situation, you got people leave, they leave the pastor, they leave the church, go out and start another church. And I understand that God sometimes uses the most unlikely people behaving in some of the most unsanctified ways to accomplish things that are bigger than they understand. They might not be acting right or behaving right, and God can still be using people. I understand that. But if you, if you take uh, the, the idea that someone, if there's this, this rancorous church split where God's not in it, I mean, nothing involved in God, and they go out and start another church, now, would the Holy Ghost lead them to do that? It's not. You, 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 just, you don't know every, you know every case is different, but generally speaking, you'd have to say, no, God wouldn't be in that. Well, if he's not in it, would he bless it? No. Now, God will bless the individuals in it because they're his children. But would God lead them and give direction to that church? No, he wouldn't. And there are churches all over the, 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 uh, uh, the map that are the result of, of multiple recurrent situations like that. Over the years, just one split after another because people got mad. And you just, you know, it's none of my business to go around and, and try to decide, you know, which church is and which church isn't. But you know a lot of churches exist that God never called. And, uh, but when God does call a church together, you know, when we started our church, the people that started, that started with us uh, used to go to, to Tuscanoogie Methodist Church out in, uh, in Fort White. 
But, you know, I didn't know anybody in the Tuscanoogie Methodist. I didn't know anybody in Fort White. And, uh, and these people in this little church, this little country church out in the woods, there was a small group of people, eight adults, I think, and, uh, and some children. And there was ten children. And, and the adults got filled with the Holy Spirit in one of Brother Hagin's meetings over in Jacksonville. No, they didn't. They got, they got filled with the Holy Spirit in the lay witnessing Methodist church thing. And then uh, after that, they went over to Jacksonville, and, and, and Brother Hagin was having a little meeting over there, and they heard about Rama. And so they contacted Kenneth Hagin Ministries to see if there was somebody that could come help them start another church. They were wise enough to know that they weren't going to change that 100-plus-year-old church. And God would not require somebody to stay in a church where, they, where their experience is going to be maligned and, and they're not going to be encouraged. They, they'll eventually go back down and, and, and regress. And so the Lord wouldn't lead you to, to stay in a situation like this. But I know for a fact when, when we got together, I didn't know they were going to start a church. I just thought they had a Bible study and I was going to come one night. I came one night 38 years ago. <laughs> this week. Next week. Next week, 38 years ago. And, uh, but when we started the church, I never heard out of those people. Now, they were all friends and, and most of them neighbors with the people that they left in the other church. Long-time friends. I never heard one disparaging remark. I never heard any comment about that other church or the leadership of that church in anything other than, than in endearing, wonderful uh, terms. There was no animosity. Now, the other church probably hurt to some extent because these people had left and they probably were sorrowful. But as far as there being animosity, there wasn't any of that. And uh, they, just, they just wanted more of God. So we started the church. And, uh, and God, when God calls a church together that way, then he will bless it. The reason a lot of churches just seem to, these little works just seem to flounder year after year after year after year after year and never get off the ground. A lot of times God wasn't in it to begin with. And so, you know, God blessed us. And so I began to see that God calls local churches together. But then when he calls a local church together, the people that he leads to come to that church, he joins them to that church spiritually. And I'm not talking about you're not married to the church. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that you can't leave a church. There are people come and go and, and you have to leave that in God's hands. I understand that. But when the Lord leads you to come to a church, however you're led, however you were led to come here, if you feel like this is the church that God wants you in, and, 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 if, that's a, and if that's a fact, he does want you here, then he joins you to this church. And the, and the book of Ephesians talks about the church being uh, fitted and framed together or knit together. And so God puts a local church together this way. And he does it so that we will pursue the vision that he has for that church. Amen. Go with me over to uh, Habakkuk. Habakkuk. And go to the, you know where that is, right? Habakkuk, <coughs> it's just before Zephaniah, did I help you? <laughs> Habakkuk chapter 2, or as I heard one person pronounce it, Habakkuk, <laughs> Habakkuk 2, chapter 2, verse 2, the Lord answered me and said, write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. Now, if you apply this to the local church, he wasn't specifically talking about the local church, but this is how a vision works. God, God raises up a church. He has a purpose for that church. You've all, you've all uh, uh, acquainted yourself with the vision of this church, how God spoke to me and, and the scriptures he gave you. This is our purpose. This is our calling. Uh, well, when, when God joins you to a church, it's his plan for you to run with the vision of that church. To run with the vision doesn't mean to just agree with the vision. 
To run with the vision means to be involved in fulfilling the vision. Amen? Uh, we are to, all of us, all of us are called to fulfill a function in the local church that we're called to. Now, I look out here tonight, most everybody in this, in this auditorium tonight uh, is, uh, most everybody is actively involved, but not everybody. And now, when you're newer in a church, it takes some time before you're going to really get involved because there's a, there's a, there's a natural time of, of establishing relationship with the church, with the congregation, really establishing trust. You know, we, we want to know if when someone starts coming to church, you know, and they, the, how, many, how many of you have heard somebody get up before and testify, oh, and I walked in here, I knew I had found my church, and then we never saw them again. That's happened so many times. Never, I mean, not one more service. They said that, got up and testified. I'm telling you, I am so glad I found this church. I walked in here tonight, and whoo, the presence of God, I am home, I have found my church. Never came back. And it's not that we didn't, you know, contact them. We contact them. Didn't hear a word from them. Uh, so we want to know, you know, when somebody starts coming to church, are they really going to be a part of us, you know? And so there is a natural time for that to happen. So we don't expect people to, to uh, you know, to take leadership positions the second week they're here. We, we have sometimes people will come to our church very first time and volunteer for, for uh, an area of ministry in the church. You know, uh, sometimes, you know, we have people, and we can use more musicians. We'd love to have more musicians. Sometimes we have people show up, say, you know, I, I'm, you know I'm new in this church. I can, can I play, you know, in, in the praise and worship band? Well, yeah, you can when it's time. But it wouldn't be time right away. You understand that? Take some time to establish relationships. So I'm not, I'm not condemning anybody. But when you've been in the, in, in the local church for a long time, and you're not participating, you're just, you're just not in obedience. That's all there is to it. Thank you. I had two amens, I think. Iris, I can always count on her and somebody else. If you've been involved, if this is your church, and, and I'm mostly preaching to the choir tonight, but I started this on Sunday, and I, and I didn't say everything I needed to say. But if you're, I said it differently, I think, Sunday. But if, if, if this is your church, and you don't help this church fulfill its vision, you're, you're, you're missing God. You're not just, when I say you're missing God, I'm not just saying you're just missing God's blessing. No, you're missing God's will and you're in disobedience. I mean, I'm say that as kindly as I can, but that's the truth. God, God expects each of us to be involved and help our church fulfill its plan. One thing that a lot of people don't see because, you know, we're, we're Americans and we have a, we have, historically speaking, we have a very weird uh, worldview. You know, our nation is only 200 and what, 200 and something, 250 years old, something, you know. Uh, we have a, this experiment in, in uh, a democratic republic like we have is new on the world stage. It's not very old. We haven't been around very long. And what, what our founders created when they created the United States was something that was revolutionary. It was an experiment. And it was unlike any other form of government that's ever existed. We have, as Americans, we have a certain mindset that we've grown up with that we're very independent. We're very much aware of our rights we can do what we want to do and nobody can tell us what to do. And uh, that mindset was fairly unknown in the ancient world. People didn't think that way. They didn't think that way in the, in the time of the Old Testament or the New Testament. People in the ancient world came up in, in kingdoms and rulers ruled and, and citizens were subjects. We don't know anything about that. And because of that, we see our lives and our, our, our self-awareness is one of, we're very individualistic. God doesn't see us that way. As an American, it's the best plan on the face of the earth. 
But we have to make the distinction. We have to see the difference between reality as American and reality as a member of the body of Christ. We are very much in a kingdom. We have a king and we have a ruler and we're supposed to do what we're supposed to do and, and we don't have free choice. The, you're, you're, you, the U.S. government doesn't pick out a plan for you. When your baby was born, the government didn't send you a letter and said, now, now the government's plan for this little boy is such and such. I mean, we would, you know, we would scream bloody murder. We'd, but God does. God has a plan for that little boy. And, and expects that little boy, expects the parents to raise that little boy to, to, pursue, to, to desire to know that plan and to pursue it. God requires that. God's not, we, we, we are not in a democracy in the church. Does that surprise somebody? We're not in a democracy. We're not in, it's not a republic. It's a theocracy. And God is God. I don't know how I got off on that, but that's the truth. But we see ourselves <coughs> free to do what we want to do. But when God joins you to a church, his identity for your life, your identity is tied to that church. Yes, there's a will of God like we used to believe and we used to say that's still true. God loves you and has a plan for your life and your life and your life and your life. Yes, he does. But he also has a plan for this church. The, the highest expression of his plan for your life is your involvement in your local church. It is. You can't fulfill God's plan for your life apart from the local church. Can't be done. I was talking to, to uh, Steve the other night, or the other, I think, Saturday. <coughs> And, I, and I've mentioned this before, how, uh, you know, I grew up in a church that is very similar to our church now in that my grandparents started the church. They were in that first tier of, of people, and they built their lives around that church, even built their homes physically around the church. And all of my, my parents, my, my grandparents and their friends you know, which when I was a little kid, that was old brother so-and-so and sister so-and-so. Let me, can I take another side journey? We used to call one another brother and sister. And it wasn't first names. It was last name. Now, you know, the adults would call one another by their first name. But children called, you know, the adults in the church brother Jones or brother Murray or brother, you know, whoever. When the, that, was, that was prevalent in Pentecostal churches, in Baptist churches, uh, in more uh, Bible-believing, not fundamentalist, but evangelical-type communities. When you got over into Presbyterian churches and Episcopal churches, and they didn't do that. That was, that was not common. Well, when the, I grew up in the, in, the, uh, in the church of God, we called one another brother and sister. It was Brother Jones, and you know, you, you hear about Brother Hagen. Well, that's where that came from, that, that type of, uh, of, of, uh, of identification. But when the charismatic renewal came, there were all of these people coming into the, into the spirit-filled life from all these other, uh, you know, more historical, uh, long-haired, you know, long-brow, you know, denominations, and they didn't do that. And so when I started fellowshipping with all of these charismatics, because they're, it was so liberating to be exposed to people who spoke with tongues, they were people I weren't ashamed to be around. Usually, you know, in our church growing up, you know, we were, we were kind of that church on the other side of tracks, you know, and everybody looked down on us. But the charismatics, you know, they were doctors and uh, attorneys and and. and uh, you know, school principals and professors and, and professional people and, and, and they look nice. 
It didn't look like us. Because, you know, we didn't wear anything, you know. And women didn't wear makeup. And, and uh, we just we looked terrible, you know. And we had some of the ugliest women you ever seen in your life. <laughs> they needed help, I'm telling you. <laughs> but we went over amongst the charismatics, and they all looked nice and dressed nice, you know. So, and, and there was this spontaneity in worship that I'd never experienced before. So it was very liberating to me. The ostracism that I had grown up experiencing, this was very liberating to me. And, 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 uh, and so I identified with that. And, and Brother Hagen, though he was an old-time Pentecostal, his ministry really rocketed, I mean, his ministry rocketed away, really took off. The, the charismatic movement was like the perfect catalyst or the perfect environment for, for his ministry to go nationwide. Because until then, he was mostly known, you know, in small places. And the charismatic renewal was just really right for a teaching gift like his and his prophetic gift and so he kind of you know he he got in with the charismatics and that's where I uh, was exposed to him so we lost that brother and sister thing we just called everybody by their mr. and mrs. because that's what the Episcopals did and the and the and the other charismatics but we've lost something we've lost something in that there's there's a there we've lost a certain understanding that we are not like I said Sunday we're not just believers we're brethren we're members of a local body and that brother and sister uh, 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 moniker you know that we that we had it, uh, with everybody's name helped to reinforce that so we've lost something there and I'm not saying we have to go back and do that but we need to rediscover the fact that we're members of a body and that God has called us together to accomplish some things. Amen. Now, I said if you're not really helping the church fulfill its vision, then you're missing God's plan. But you know, a lot of people do just enough, just enough to say they're involved. Just enough, just one little thing. Years ago, we, we used to be real proud of the fact that we had a high percentage of our people involved in the helps ministry. I don't know what that percentage is today. I, I think it's still pretty high. But a lot of people just do one little thing that doesn't require a whole lot. And that means there's an, another core of people who do a lot of stuff around here. I mean, they're, they're basically overworked. They're not griping because they love ministry and, and being faithful to the Lord. But I heard this question. I don't know if I heard somebody say it or, or the Lord spoke it to me. I, maybe I woke up with this the other day. I don't remember. But if, if something happened to you, ask yourself this question. I'm not... I know that, that we believe in, in longevity and the blessing of God. And uh, unlike Dan, you know, he doesn't know whether he's going to make it or not. You know, if he's going to make it to 75, I know I'm going to make it. Amen. We, I'm just picking on Dan. But, but we believe in long life and, and fulfilling, you know, our, 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 our days. Isn't that right? But let's just say hypothetically something happened to you and boom, you were just taken out tomorrow. Would there, how big a hole would there be in this church? In terms of, not just in terms of people missing you, how, how, big, a, how big a hole would be left in ministry? How difficult would it be to, full, to fill your spot? So that's a good thought, isn't it? Yeah. We look around at some people and we think, oh man, they're involved in everything, you know, and they've got this going, that going, you know. It'd be a big loss. Well, well what about you? Is it, is, is, are, you, are, you are you making a contribution that's really helping the church fulfill its vision? Or is, are you, is your contribution making a difference? It's a good question, isn't it? Amen. And 
And we should. We should all be carrying something. More than just a glass of water. You know, I mean, if that's all you're doing, thank God for that. But move up. Move up to a place of, 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 of greater uh, ownership in the church. Now, I intended tonight, and I've, I've almost run out of time, I've intended to talk about our gifts. Because on Sunday I said, you know, God has gifted everyone. Go, go over with me to, uh, to 1 Peter 4. 1 Peter 4. First Peter 4, verse number 10. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. This verse tells us several things. It tells us that we all have received a gift. And then it says, minister it to one another. Well, who's the one another? That's not talking about on the job. It's not talking about in your neighborhood. It's talking about in the local church. That's where, that's where you're joined to one another. Isn't that right? God gifts all of He gifts, G-I-F-T-S. He gifts all of us with things to contribute to the local church. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. All of us have grace on our life to help. Amen. And now go over with me to Romans 12. Romans 12. Hallelujah. Verse number six, having... Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Notice it's not asking a question. It's not saying if you have a gift. It's assuming. It's, it's saying you have a gift as, like it says in First Peter. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. I, uh, I talked about this on Sunday, that each one of us are given gifts. Well, well, what are those gifts? What are they? If you go online, I really don't recommend you do this, but it would be okay if you do. If you Google, do a search for uh, gifts in the local church or something to that effect, there is so much ridiculous stuff out there that people believe uh, about giftings of believers in churches. You find expressions that, that deal with, there's, there's some of these catchphrases, you know, and they, 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 uh, they're funny. Discovering your spiritual gifts. Like there's this, you know, real secretive, mysterious process where you don't know what your gift is. Discovering your spiritual gifts. And then they talk about releasing. That you can release your gifts. And the leadership is here to release you into your gifts. And I think to myself, I'm not releasing anything. I'm not controlling anything. How am I going to release something I don't have? <laughs> yes, we're going to release him into ministry. People just make up stuff. They just make up stuff. It sounds funny right now, but people, people live this way. Empowering the creative arts in the church. There's all these people that believe that. I, I, back in the 80s, it was real strong how God is restoring the arts to the church. You know, the, the musical arts, the dramatic arts, the visual arts. He's restoring this to the church. Problem is, it was never in the church. Where do you see, where do you see drama in the book of Acts? Other than the drama on the day of Pentecost. 
Do you know what I'm talking about? Where, where, where does that come from? And they, and they, and they draw these, these, these uh, uh, lines back to uh, times in during uh, uh, the uh, uh, restoration, what, what do you call it, the, the Renaissance time, you know, and, and all of this artistic stuff came up. That wasn't the original church. That's not when the church was founded. So they talk about, you know, restoring the creative arts, people finding their gifts. In a recent survey by the Barna Group, they, they surveyed, this was in 2009, but that's fairly recent. They surveyed and asked people about their gifts, church people. And one-fifth of all the gifts cited by the respondents were attributes that aren't even found in the Bible. People listed the gift of weeping. I'm talking about as this is my spiritual gift. I have the gift of weeping. <laughs> See, God's restoring the, the arts to the church. If that'll come out on the on the recording or not. That was great. What was that anyway? <laughs> the gift of weeping, the gift of joy, the gift of laughter. We have that tonight. The gift of a sense of humor. As a spiritual gift, people believe they have this gift of this of, of the sense of humor. The gift of singing, the gift of health, the gift of happiness, the gift of patience. The gift, the gift of having a job. <laughs> Owning a house is a spiritual gift. Spiritual gift of compromise. Spiritual gift of premonition. Creativity. And clairvoyance. One-fifth of the church had listed gifts that aren't even in the Bible and some... Then there's also, you know, more, those are kind of uncommon, but this is very common. The gift of encouragement. I have the gift of encouragement. The gift of knowledge, the gift of wisdom, the gift of discernment. Those are not, there is no spiritual gift called the gift of discernment. There's no spiritual gift called the, the gift of knowledge or the gift of wisdom. That's not found in the Bible. It's a misreading. The gift of intercession. That's not a spiritual gift. The gift of deliverance. Those aren't spiritual gifts. There are three categories of, of gifts found in the New Testament. There are ministry gifts. There are spiritual gifts uh, or, in, or, or endowments. And there are functional gifts. Now, uh, we're out of time, so I'll stop. Praise the Lord. But when we talk about gifts, we're talking about gifts that are in the Bible. We're not talking about making up stuff. My gift is decorating the church. Honey, that ain't a gift. That's an ability. But we don't let everybody function in that. <laughs> or it would be a disaster. Amen. No, when we're talking about gifts, we're talking about what the Bible calls a gift. Yes, God has given every one of us gifts to function in the church. And they're all found in the New Testament. And what God wants you to do is to pay attention and flow in and cooperate with what God is doing in your life to help you. He gives you these abilities to help you and me, all of us, help the church fulfill its vision. Amen? And so don't just look for one place where you can say, I serve. I check my box, I serve. Well, uh, there's a lot more to be done. And, and really, we, I, I'm not, my, my purpose for this 
uh, on Sunday and tonight, I'm not doing this primarily because we need help. You know, we're looking to fill spots. That's not my main, my main motivation, motivation. My main motivation is to cause people to see that this is a spiritual body and that we all are charged with this vision and that we have a responsibility. And to see yourself, like I said on Sunday, a lot of people unconsciously, they think of their church membership as much like the membership in a club. You know, I started attending this church and I like it and I, you know, I took the membership class and I, and I, and I you know, filled out the card, now I'm a member. Well, you do that with a lot of organizations. You go through that process, you know, you join it. Uh, but this is a body that God knits you to. And he puts in you things that this church needs. So I'm not, my primary, primary purpose was not to beat the drum, you know, for, for more helpers. But I will say we need more helpers. It's not my main motive, but that's true. We need more helpers. And, and we need people who are doing a very little to do more. Amen? Find a place where God can use you and get involved. Because it, it, there, there's, there's a great need. And the, every, every role, every spot in the local church uh, operates under the, the big heading and there's smaller subheadings but the big heading of the ministry of helps and there's an anointing for every spot I, huh? I remember a few years ago somebody told me an usher told me he said when the spirit of God I got up to minister in a particular service and the Holy Ghost had me do something I don't normally do call for you know a different type of ministry and this usher came to me and he said I was in the back and I knew that you were and I hadn't said anything to indicate there was going to be anything different than I normally did and this usher told me he said I knew the spirit of God showed me what was about to happen I knew what you were about to do and he got in gear and was ready because it involved moving people and such and he was he was ahead of me he probably knew it before I did See, every spot in this church is supposed to be supernatural. Now, a lot of these things don't seem like they're supernatural. They, 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 don't, they don't seem like there's a supernatural element to it, but there is. If you give yourself to that, the Spirit of God can lead you, give you help, give you wisdom and, and insight into everything that's done here that you serve in. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.